Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good morning. It's a good city, isn't it, Leeds? It's a good place to live. Uh, It's a good place to visit. I'm always struck when we bring visitors uh, to Leeds how much uh, this city has to offer. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about the significance of places. Places are significant uh, to us as human beings. They're also significant to God. It's an important part of how God builds his church is through places and spaces. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here. Uh, I lead uh, Holy Trinity Bore Lane, which is the church just down the road next to the Trinity Center. And at Holy Trinity, uh, we're really passionate about engaging with people in the midst of a place, that city of Leeds, people that work around that building uh, and seeing God at work in that city. Before I came to Leeds, uh, I lived in Scotland for about four years uh, with my family. Uh, And just a a few months after we'd moved, made the move down to Leeds, uh, we went on holiday to the northeast of England. And I remember distinctly driving uh, in our car to Robin Hood's Bay. And if you've ever been to Robin Hood's Bay, uh, there's a long country road, and then you come over the hill, and suddenly you see the sea on the horizon. And I remember distinctly looking at my wife, Ellie, Uh, And we were both, our eyes were both welling up with tears. And that view, that sea view, uh, contained in it, even though it wasn't the sea view that we were used to, but just that view of the horizon contained within it all of the memories of the things we'd left behind from Scotland. The difficulty of moving from place to place, the friends, uh, the work, the spaces that we were familiar with. Uh, That's the view at St. Andrews. It's quite a remarkable uh, view. And it holds with it many many memories of significance. Uh, Incidentally, my uh, three-year-old, my four-year-old, now four-year-old daughter, Emmeline, uh, whenever we drive over the hill down um, uh, Scott Hall Road uh, and the horizon of the Leeds city skyline comes into view, she always says, Daddy, I can see the sea. And we say to her, Emmeline, darling, you, you can't see the sea. That Leeds doesn't have a, have a coastline. And she says, no, Daddy, I can see the sea in my mind. Which is, yeah, it's precious, isn't it? <laughs> the point that I want you to see is that the places we live, the places we work, are important. They contain huge amounts of significance. They connect us to the past. They hold us together as communities. Places and spaces can have qualities. They can be warm and inviting. People often say that of living in the north of England, as they should. Uh, In the north, people are warm and friendly and inviting. Uh, Cities like Leeds can be modern and exciting. Places have characteristics and personalities. But this also means that spaces and places uh, are not always positive for many. Uh, If you've been through a particularly painful season of your life, uh, returning to the space in which that happened can trigger all sorts of memories of past events. Over the next few weeks at St. George's, we're going to be thinking together 
about how the Holy Spirit is at work in places, in cities and communities like the ones we live in. Last week, uh, as a church, we celebrated with thousands of Christians across the globe the festival of Pentecost, in which we remember that the Holy Spirit was sent to us to transform our lives, to bring people to new life in Jesus Christ. And as we read together through the book of Acts over the next few weeks, we will see again and again stories of dramatic conversions, lives turned around. But also in the the book of Acts, we see uh, not just people's lives turned around, but people's communities and their cities transformed. We are invited uh, over these next few weeks to be Pentecost people, Pentecost people that pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to transform lives and continue to transform the cities and communities we inhabit. I think if we're honest, that as a church, and I'm not just talking about St. George's, uh, but as, as the Western church in particular, we're really good at talking about how God changes us. We're really good about talking about the transformation of ourselves, of spiritual growth and discipleship. Now, don't hear me wrong. These things are crucial if we are to grow as Christians. But I, what I'm really struck by as I read through the book of Acts again this year was that the Holy Spirit brings transformation which is far more than about ourselves. We don't just see changed lives, we see changed communities and cities. As the church expands and grows, we see dramatic cultural change. Whole communities are caught up in this radical vision of Christian hope. Cities that were once rife with greed and selfishness, become spaces of mutual love and care. Communities that depended on exploitative and unjust business practices are transformed into places that value human integrity and wholeness. Cities uh, that do not worship the God of Israel but instead choose to worship man-made idols, are transformed into spaces where we see deep spiritual nourishment and healing. The Holy Spirit is at work transforming our community and our spaces. And so as Pentecost people, we should care about God's transformation of space and place. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer each week, and as we'll pray this morning together, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As the theologian Willie James Jennings puts it, the new converts that we read about in the book of Acts that are transformed by the love of God sought together a new way of life. They were in a new land to be changed, not just to change people into believers. And so our invitation this morning is to be people that join in God's transformation of the city, that join in all that God is doing throughout our communities and cities. And so to do this, uh, this morning and over the next few weeks, we're going to ask ourselves uh, two really important questions. What we're going to do, we're going to look 
at five different cities that we see in the book of Acts. And as we do so, we're going to ask these questions together. The first question is this. How did the Holy Spirit transform this place, this city, to look more like the kingdom of God? How was the Spirit at work in the early church in these communities? And secondly, uh, how might the Holy Spirit be calling us today to join in with this transformation? By looking at what God has done in history, we can be inspired to join with God in transforming God, transforming cities in the present. So this morning we're going to be looking together at the city of Jerusalem, where we see uh, our passage take place. And I've got three things that we're going to talk about together. And the first one is that to join in God's transformation, we need to learn to speak the right language. We heard from our reading that right at the beginning of the story of the church, the disciples were waiting together for the Holy Spirit to come. And they're doing this in a very diverse place. Even amongst the Jews that were present on that day, the author of the book of Acts, Luke, uh, lists, now you're going to have to excuse some of my pronunciation here, I'll try my best, uh, Luke lists Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Syria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. See, the secret is if you say it really fast, no one notices if you've pronounced it correctly. This is a diverse group of people that the apostles have been sent to with this message of hope and transformation. And we know, famously, that when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're able to supernaturally communicate across these different cultures. There's a story that we read about in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, in the history of God's people, in which uh, God's people uh, attempt to build a tower, the Tower of Babel, in which human, um, so human beings can create a tower um, that glorifies themselves, glorifies human beings. It is a mark of independence from God. And at this point, the authors of Genesis tell us that human beings are divided because of their worship of themselves, of human beings. They're divided. And this is where we see uh, the introduction of languages. Uh, different languages which distinguish and break apart these cultures. It provides a picture of what happens when we live in a way that is not how we were made. Uh, we are broken apart by these cultural divisions and divides. And on the day of Pentecost, we see the reverse of Babel. The reverse of Babel is that when the Holy Spirit comes... Uh, human beings, the human beings that live in this place of disunity in which they are broken apart by their cultures, cultures and differences, suddenly uh, are united. They can speak the same language. I don't know if you've ever tried to speak a language that uh, you didn't learn from birth. Uh, my B in GCSE French uh, is a little bit lacking. I can talk about what I did on holiday uh, and I might be able to talk about my brother and my sister. Um, but my French pronunciation is so embarrassing that I probably won't even uh, try this morning with you. But it's one of the hardest things you can do as an adult, 
is to try and learn a, a new language. As adults, our brains are just not wired in the way that can pick up new languages. Uh, our mouths don't make the right kinds of sounds. But in learning a language, we're not just learning how to communicate truth and facts. Learning a language tells us something about a culture, a people, a history. Uh, now, my wife Ellie is uh, bilingual. She grew up in France until she was about 12 years old. And so, unlike me, uh, she is very fortunate to have two languages that she can uh, speak fluently. Um, I asked her the other day, tell me a French word that is almost impossible to translate into English. And she told me that the word voila, there you go, that's as good as my French is going to get, uh, doesn't really have an English uh, equivalent, at least not in a way that captures its full meaning. Uh, voila has to be said with your hands, not just your mouth. Uh, the closest you might get in English is something like, there you go. <laughs> it's not quite the same, is it? There you go. Voila. There's something about this literal translation of the word voila uh, that misses something of the, uh, the je ne sais quoi of, <laughs> thank you, it's good, wasn't it? It misses something of what, what that word really captures culturally. There's something about the expressiveness and the personality and the panache of French personality and culture. Do you like it? I'm getting them all in, aren't I? Thank you. But the point is this, language is not just about literal meaning and communication. Language is about culture and people. As one theologian puts it, speak a language, speak a people. God speaks people fluently. I love that. God speaks people fluently. Now this doesn't mean that God is French. God is not from Leeds. Sorry to disappoint you, Dan. God is not a Yorkshireman. God knows each one of us deeply in a way that transcends any of our human uh, constructs of language and culture. The transformation that we see in the place of Jerusalem is one in which, uh, in which the early church learned how to speak people. They learn how to speak across cultures. They're able to communicate deeply because they communicate through the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you in your community, in your place of work, uh, in your local uh, community? How do you learn to speak Leeds fluently? I don't think it's primarily about accent and uh, language translation. The point is this, if we want to see God's transformation of the city, we cannot risk being siloed into a community that only understands one another. We have to understand our communities and our cultures. We have to be able to cross those cultural divides uh, that break us apart as human beings. If we want to play a role in, in joining God in transforming the city, we first have to understand the city and its people. And this takes time. This means we have to listen to people's stories, even when they're long and boring. This means that we have to share meals with people that we might not like or get on with. It might mean that you have to go on that works night out that you've been dreading all year long. Understanding people, speaking their language, 
is crucial for joining in God's transformation of the city. So that's the first point I want to say. Speak, learn to speak the language. Speak the language of your street, of your workplace, of your city. The second thing I want to talk about is what I'm going to call the revolution of intimacy. As we saw right at the end of our reading this morning, we saw a radical shift in how the early church related to one another after they'd received the Holy Spirit. After this moment of cultural change in which suddenly people are speaking to one another in a common language, in a common uh, mode of communication, uh, we see very quickly that the disciples are forced into this radical way of living in which they share their possessions, their lives, their homes, and their skills. The life of Pentecost people is one that says nothing is off limits for the purposes of God's kingdom. Nothing is off limits. Now, I think it's important to notice here, I think we might pick up the end of this chapter and think, uh, really what Luke is telling us about is that Christianity uh, is really interested in promoting a socialist ideal of just sharing wealth and possessions. And I don't think that's the full picture of what's going on in the book of Acts. Uh, The end goal of the early church is not an equitable society. As important as it is for us to, uh, to speak about that as Christians, The end goal of the early church is one of transformation. It's one of divine love, not just one of shared possessions uh, and friendship. I'll read from Willie Jennings again because I think he's very good on this point. Uh, And Jennings says this, What is far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who dares impose on us divine love. Such love will not play fair. In the moment we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, using it to create the bonds of shared life. In the city of Jerusalem, uh, the disciples were so, uh, so um, filled with the Holy Spirit Uh, that they couldn't do anything other than share all that they had to give this love away to anybody who would listen. I wonder what it looks like in your community, in your place of work, in your street, to live this life of radical love, of radical transformation. What would it mean for you to say, nothing is off limits for God's transformation of this place? Where is the space for shared life and community? Uh, In your streets, in your house, in your place of work. As we go on in this series, we'll be talking in more detail about some of these themes of generosity and justice that we see in the book of Acts. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there are some amazing people within our community uh, that do this work of alleviating poverty, sitting with the vulnerable, who care each day for the sick and the dying of this city. But it's easy for us to think, well, that's their job to do. The people that work for a debt charity, the people uh, that volunteer their time at St. George's Crypt, they're the people that really care. 
that really live lives of radical love. This is an excuse, I think, sometimes that we tell ourselves um, that means that we don't have to live lives of radical love. That's for other people to do. But let me tell you this. Every day, whatever you do in your work or in your, uh, in your community life, uh, you will come into contact with people who are in deep need. Often these needs are unseen. Uh, they might not present themselves in ways that we expect. But if we learn to speak the language of a culture, we cannot help but see that there are needs all around us. Let me give you one example. Last year in the city of Leeds, uh, there was a 118% increase in mental health referrals in the NHS. 118% increase. There's some research that suggests that one in seven people uh, experiences mental health problems that prevent them from being in the workplace. There are people that are suffering in silence all around us uh, in this community and in the communities that we inhabit every day. What might it look like for us to be people that offer something different, that, that point to a different way of living, that are prepared to care and to love rather than dismiss and to alienate. Maybe that's just as simple as being prepared to listen, even when you don't think you've got the time to do so. Maybe it is to be a person that refuses to comply with a culture of stress and overworking, and that says that there can be different ways of living and working. To, be the life, to live a life as Pentecost people, transformed by God's Spirit, speaking the languages of our city, uh, we are called to be people that show radical love and care to all that we come across in our daily lives. Finally, uh, we are to be people that are moved by the Spirit. On reflection, perhaps this should have been the first point of my sermon. Uh, but actually, I put it last because this is the one I want you to remember the most. If you forget everything else I've said today, uh, then remember this. The transformation that we read about in the pages of Acts, one in which transcends cultural divides, which offers radical love to communities, will never come about by just trying harder. We are not called to be people that just try our best to make this world a better place. We have to be people that are transformed by God's spirit and God's presence. The community that comes about in the book of Acts is an act of God. It's an act of divine will. And the same is true for us today. As we read through the pages of the book of Acts, we notice again and again and again that God acts in unexpected ways. God brings them into contact with people uh, that they do not want to sit around the dinner table with and brings transformation there. The life of transformation, the life of Pentecost people is a one of constant surprise and constant gift. You know, we often pray this prayer as a church, come Holy Spirit, come. That's a really dangerous prayer to pray, let me tell you. That is, if we pray that, 
uh, and we mean it. That is a dangerous prayer to pray because what it says is that we are not in control. We are not in control of how the Spirit will transform our lives, transform our communities. But we need it so much. We need so much for the Spirit to come and to change our lives and to change our communities. Verse 1 says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The seeds of transformation are found in the expectation of God's Holy Spirit, not just in better strategy and planning. And so if we're serious about joining in God's transformation, then we need to be people that pray, that seek God's Spirit in all that we do. But notice that the church didn't just ask for God's Spirit, they asked for God's Spirit together. I've heard it said quite a few times recently that this thing that we do together on a Sunday morning is a bit pointless. Uh, it's, it's, outdated. it's an outdated mode of being Christians. We don't really need to come together. We'd be much better spending our time uh, influencing the city, going to the places of need and reaching out and helping people. Uh, this is a waste of two hours. I think we uh, should be really serious that that is a lie that we cannot uh, allow ourselves to believe. It's crucial to see that the Holy Spirit works in the midst of community. It is the community of the church that were transformed by the Spirit to transform their places of work, their places, the places where they lived. Throughout the book, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that God's chosen method of transformation is people, people that come together acknowledging their imperfections that are willing to get on their knees and pray. I don't know why. People are pretty messy, pretty difficult sometimes, but God chooses to work through communities like this. Being part of a community of Pentecost people is one in which we persistently ask the Spirit of God to move afresh as he did on the day of Pentecost, to transform the city that we might be sent to join in his transformation. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.